I'm Dana Lloyd. Welcome to Soul Sister Conversations, the podcast, where you will be inspired and empowered to connect more deeply with your authentic self as we explore topics of personal development, leadership, and spirituality. Your journey to your most authentic self starts right now. Greta Muller is a coach who helps people become their authentic self. We talk about opening your presence to tap into the best part of yourself, to be more personal, powerful, and genuine in your life and at work. This conversation will leave you encouraged to use your most valuable resource, you. Have you always wanted your own personal coach? Well, now you can have one. Sign up for my weekly newsletter called Coach in Your Inbox, where I give you an inspirational message along with a coaching question for the week. Plus, you'll always be up to date with who is on the podcast and get my latest book recommendation. I value my relationships and community with others. So let's start a relationship. Go to DanaLloydLeadership.com to sign up. Greta Muller, welcome to Soul Sister Conversations. Thank you. It is my pleasure to be here. I'm delighted to have this conversation because it's one of my favorite topics, and we're going to be talking about authenticity today, and one of the reasons why you and I are chatting is that you authored a book called Opening Your Presence. I love that title, by the way. Thank you. And presenting the you you want others to see, and I think this is such a relevant topic because, as the point you make in your book, it isn't just for workplace people that we're really presenting ourselves all the time. And you say um, this book is for people who find themselves in front of small or large groups and for those who are seeking ways to tap into the best part of themselves to be more personal, uh, personal, powerful and genuine. I mean, who doesn't want to tap into the best part of themselves, (laughs) you know? And the funny thing is, uh, many people think they're already doing that. And um, (laughs) we get down to the nitty gritty and they haven't even scratched the surface. (laughs) Oh, well, I hope we scratch more on the surface today on that, because that sounds interesting. But before writing this book, you had a very varied and diverse career, 20 plus year career in television, corporate communications and entrepreneurship. And you did spend a lot of time in front of the camera, but then you had a calling to kind of move behind the camera and help all those other people who are actually on camera. So I'm just curious about that. Why did you feel sort of called to help people in this way and help with their presentation skills and authenticity? You know, honestly, when I was a little girl, I wanted to be a teacher. I loved my teachers. And uh, in high school, um, well, to backtrack, my, my parents, neither of them went to college. And so when it's time to go to college, they really could not help my sister and I. They didn't know what to do or how to help us. So I had this wonderful teacher who said, okay, Greta, you know, it's time to look at colleges. What are you going to do? And I said, I want to be an English teacher. And she was my English teacher. And she Mm -hmm. said, absolutely not. (laughs) And I was shocked. I was like, really? And she said, Greta, you're going to be an actress. And I, I was dumbfounded, but I was the lead in all the plays. I did the shows. I did speech tournaments. I, that's what I did. And I just never thought of it as a career. And she said, yes, you have it. You can do it. And because of that, I did it. And she helped me get into college and, you know, study theater, whatever. I was cast in a movie in my freshman year of college. But it that required... That exciting. Yeah, it was very exciting. It was Louis Mall, big French director, was in town shooting a movie. 
my picture was in the paper and they called me and there was nudity and I couldn't do it. I, I was, you know, to more information than you want. I was a virgin. I was naive and inexperienced. And I said, there's, I can't do that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's a pretty big ask of a freshman. (laughs) Correct. I mean, and literally 18 years old, but anyway, that's, what my career was like. I just fell into things. I would get cast. I would, you know, people would ask me to do stuff. And so I didn't even work hard to sort of make it happen. It just sort of unfolded before me. And I took the journey where it led me. Mm. So at some point, uh, becoming, because you became a coach as well, that, that you, I guess, followed your teacher roots and decide to help people in this way, put your life maybe back on track or more aligned with what your soul was calling or your inner being was calling. Well, once again, I I, I went where it led me. I was turning 40 and I'd had a really nice uh, career, but it was changing because my age was changing. My age range, what parts I could play. And a girlfriend older than me who had already gotten out of the business for the very same reason, it is frustrating Um, women age out and men just get more attractive. So, um, she went to work for a broadcast coaching company and they were looking for someone else. And she called me. She said, I think you'd be a really good fit. I had always taught off and on at the Dallas Theater Center. I was working in Dallas at the time. And um, I said yes to the interview and got the job. And it was the best thing that could have ever happened. I loved it because I could take everything I had learned in front of the camera learn about broadcast news, weather, sports, that sort of thing, and blend it all together and help other people be their best on camera. And I absolutely loved it. And I worked for this broadcast coaching company uh, for six years and became one of their senior coaches. That's really neat. I'm I'm curious about the aspect, and I don't know if this is your attitude or um, which is very positive. I just fall into things. Have you ever thought about that? How your life has unfolded that you you just fall into things, oh, or yeah. come to you easily? <laughs> I'm curious your perspective on that. And it's funny because that's what several of my friends have said to me: things come easily to you. And I don't believe that. It's not that it's easy. I believe everyone and. I have now been coaching for 24 years. So you have to understand I coach other people in their careers, their presentations, et cetera, because I've now gone into the corporate world. But I have been coaching people. The opportunity is right in front of them. All they have to do is say yes and step into it, and they can't even see it. Hmm. And so I think when I go back to high school, when I really go back to my childhood, even, I learned very early I could make people laugh or I had no trouble talking to an adult. It didn't scare me where some of my friends were, oh, my gosh, you know, you talk to the teacher. I thought that was the coolest thing. And so I do think it's nature and nurture. I think I kind of have that in me. But every time I was given an opportunity, I was more likely to say yes and just jump into it than to really weigh the pros and the cons and, oh, I don't know if I should do that. And I just did it. And Mm -hmm. so things 
evolved. It's so interesting when you just say yes to things, there actually doesn't appear to be obstacles and it feels like things are working out for you. So it's kind of an interesting perspective where a lot of us will go, I don't know, you're right, we'll do the pros and the cons. So I just find that interesting that you do see that or you describe it or your friends even describe it, that you easily fall into things. And I think that is a matter of saying yes. So well, I, I like that perspective. Yes, and, and um, I use this lesson and this particular story I'm going to tell you a lot in my coaching. I had an amazing career in Dallas as a broadcast coaching company. Talent Dynamics is number one in their industry. It's a huge uh, company that this is what they do. I had been doing it for six years. And I just no longer, I loved the work. I didn't like how much my, my schedule was really heavy. I was traveling all the time. Um, I had no personal life. It seemed like I was working, 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 working. And one day I drove to the grocery store, which is three minutes from my condo. I get to the grocery store and it was like I drove in a blackout. I couldn't even remember getting in the car and starting it and driving to the grocery store. It was scary. And in that moment, I just thought, you know, I don't want to do that. I don't want to, I was now looking at 50. So I'd been coaching and now I'm looking at 50 years old. And I thought, I don't want to live the rest of my life in a fog. I want to feel my life. And then I just started thinking about it. If I change my life, what it, what would it look like? And I thought I'm sick of driving. I had lived in Dallas. I lived in Los Angeles. All you do is drive. And I love New York. All of my clients were on the East Coast, et cetera, et cetera. I just moved to, I left my job. I had to resign. I had to give them six months notice, which worked in my favor because I was able to, you know, sell my condo, make plans, et cetera, et cetera. So I moved from this two bedroom, two bath, lovely condo to a studio, 450 square foot studio apartment in New York City. And I just started over. And people either thought I was crazy or brave. Mm. And I fell into my first client. It was the strangest thing. I had a non-compete, so I couldn't do broad I couldn't do broadcast. But a corporate person came to me and they had just heard about you know, my coaching and someone said something and, oh, she's living in New York now and all this kind of stuff. And that's how I got my first corporate client. And I realized I loved it because he was going on to the Today Show and he needed what I had, which is I understood broadcast and he knew nothing about it. And he was the CEO of this company. So anyway, I know what it's like to step out of your comfort zone when you're so comfortable. You have built a life of comfort, but mm. comfort can actually just be a bad habit that feels good. And so a lot of my coaching is let's look at comfort versus is it genuine and is it working in your favor? And if not, let's look at how we can safely make changes. Hmm. Yeah, that's a great perspective. Yeah. Courage or crazy be able to and I love that comfort. It can be a bad habit that feels good. And oh, doesn't comfortable feel good <laughs> to up we, end our life and change everything. It, 
It's so yes. uncomfortable. It's it's what we all want. We strive for it. I had finally gotten to a place of financial security. I was a senior coach. I had profit sharing, benefits, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The one stipulation at that time is that you had to be based in Dallas, which I thought was ridiculous because all of my clients were on the East Coast. I thought, well, why can't I live in New York and do this? And it was just the management at the time. Talent Dynamics now is one of my clients. <laughs> mm. So interesting. Yeah. So I work for the same company, but on my terms. On your and, terms. <laughs> yes. And as a business owner. And by moving to New York, it was such a positive experience. Hey, I had my scary moments. But, you know, I gave up my car. You're walking everywhere. I lost 20 pounds in two months and I didn't even try. I, I wasn't even thinking about it. And mm. weight just fell off of me. And I just started realizing how healthy I felt. And so when I help clients step out of the comfort zone, I have that perspective. And a lot of times when they point out their, well, I do this because this works for me. We look at it objectively. And most of the times they tell me, oh, that really doesn't work, does it? No, not really. <laughs> <laughs> and so you have to have those glasses on to be able to say, is this just comfortable or is this something that is working for me? Is this getting mm. me where I want to go? Mm. You dedicate your book, you say in the beginning, to anyone courageously seeking to express their most, uh, most authentic presence. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious, what, what does authenticity or authentic presence mean to you? It means what the word means, which is genuine, true, real. However, in the context of which I write and coach, authentic often means making a hard choice when it doesn't follow the norm. It means going against the grain. It, it means often not responding or acting how we feel. And that is the biggest mistake I think pe people make. They confuse authenticity with what feels right. I just, like, especially on social media, which don't even get me going on that. <laughs> and, you know, someone will say, oh, she's so authentic. Well, really, she's probably a brat who just says anything she feels like saying in the moment that she says it. Mm. And so people think that's amazing. And, oh, she's so real. She just speaks her mind. I don't think that, that's, it, that's such a good point. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I'm, I'm glad you said that because I, I often think about authenticity a, a lot and and it makes me, and when I hear people say that exact thing, if someone, for example, told somebody else off, mm -hmm. they were like, oh, I love that they're just being themselves. I'm like, but is nasty being ourselves? You know, yeah. just because you're acting or reacting. Like I really think about what does that mean for someone to be, or is that to me, it's often, it's ego. You you feel offended, you feel whatever, mm -hmm. and you react that way. But it's interesting that people see that as authenticity. And I think because of social media, um, you know, I'll use one of my favorite people, not Kim Kardashian. 
oh, she's so authentic. She's so brave. She puts herself, you know, I, because you don't have a lot of physical inhibition, so you're willing to pose with little clothing or show your behind or whatever it means. I don't necessarily see that as being authentic. It's a great business choice if your business is to make more money. Let's see how we can utilize this towards making more money. And I find that very authentic if making more money is what's important to you. So to be authentic, and really I I try to confine my work to the professional uh, environment. What are your what are, what are your goals and and um, where do you want to go in your work? Um, how would you like to advance professionally? It tides over to your personal life, but I don't consider myself a life coach. I think you have to decide what is important to you, and that goes beyond. I want to make more money and you know live in a villa. Why do you want to make more money? And why do you want to live in the villa? Which is great. I mean, if those are real for you, I think that's amazing. Let's get down to the why. So I often start with why. Why are we doing that? What's behind it? Where is it going to get you? And then now, how can we utilize your genuine skills and talents, your gifts, your presence, (laughs) towards sharing those presents and your presence, the ha 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 play on words. However, it's very genuine. It's very true to me. Now, how do we share that in order to achieve the ideal outcome for what it is you're going for? And that's where I think true, or I call it bold authenticity comes from, because it doesn't mean being comfortable. It may mean speaking up, when you don't want to speak up. It may mean um, putting up your hand and saying, stop. I will not be treated that way. I will not let you speak to me that way. When you know that could get you fired. That to me is true authenticity, not screaming and yelling. (laughs) Mm, It's so true. Uh, A lot of what you have done is, you know, coaching people, um, to be authentic. So for example, I suppose if they are broadcasters or if they're people in the corporate world who have to do presentations, Mm -hmm. um, or you say even in an informal situation when you're ordering a latte from a barista, you know, it's, it's that ability to connect authentic, uh, authentically with other people. And you just said you're wasting the most valuable resource, which is you. So I think a lot of people like the term authenticity. Mm-hmm. They are trying to find their identity. What does that mean for them to be an authentic person? So how do you get people to get in touch with that so they can be make better connections, whether they are the VP of Doubletree, like who wrote the foreword in your book, or, <laughs> um, or you know, just someone who is who wants to make more friends? Like, how do we get in touch with that so that we can use it to connect better with other people so we can communicate our message? I do think it starts with defining And having a concept of your ideal outcome, whether it's a presentation. And this fascinates me. Um, I I do a lot of work with the Hilton Corporation, the different brands and whatever in their presentations. But I do other industries, other corporations as well. And it often surprises me 
they do these large um, conferences. And I'll always ask the question, what is the ideal outcome for the audience? What is it that you want them to walk away and do? How do you want them to feel? And what do you want them to remember? So I call it the think, feel, do formula. And they've actually never given that any thought. <laughs> they are well, because so- don't you find with many meetings or conferences, people just start and they're presenting all sorts of information. But are we getting to the point of what we really want? Like we're, I think people waste a lot of time getting yeah. to the point. I agree. It, they're so intent on what they are supposed to present. Um, and then it comes down to, I want to be taken seriously. I want the promotion. I want to speak at the next event. So I've got to do a great job on this event. I need to do X, Y, Z. And they're not really focused on, well, why am I presenting? Again, there's that word, why? Why am I presenting this particular information? Because when it comes down to that, how many times are people in the corporate world, especially asked to do an update on a project? Just give us an update. What's going on? Mm-hmm. And they will say to me, oh, it's just an update. Who cares? It's just, I'm just telling them, okay, why? Why are we doing that? Is it necessary? Well, yeah, because the next step involves X, Y, Z. Okay, then that's why we're doing it. So now what are you going to talk about so that X, Y, Z becomes a reality? And again, they hadn't thought of that. They were just going to give an update. So behind everything, a job interview If you go into every interview thinking, I've got to have the job, I got to get that job, I want that job, I need that job, you're never going to do as good of uh, an interview, you're not going to present yourself most authentically in a way where they can see the qualities that you're actually going to bring to that job, because you're just trying to get the job. Hmm. You should be looking at, is this a company I want to work with? Will I be using my skills? How do I get to know this person so I can get an idea of the culture of the company? Are we a good fit, et cetera, et cetera. That's anyway, that's a whole thing that I do. But behind everything, even if it's asking your husband to load the dishwasher, there's an outcome that you want. Do you want him to do it yelling and screaming and throwing the dishes in and breaking them? Or would you like him to feel good about helping you in the kitchen? So everything has an ideal outcome for the situation and the other person, whether it's one person or an audience. Hmm. I love, you know, this idea of really being able to get in touch with ourselves and the authentic part of ourselves. And to your point, really about what is our intention when we connect and want to communicate or what, what do we want as an outcome? You know, you remind people in your book that people who can communicate effectively usually are the first to get promoted or make important and financial, personal, and professional connections. Mm-hmm. And you 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 adhere to a philosophy that I do. You say that we present ourselves every day, personally, professionally, whether, you know, like you said, whether you're ordering a coffee or not. So we're always putting, we're putting ourselves out there, whether we actually think we are or not, and how are we actually showing up. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's getting in touch with that authentic piece that people really see who we are. They go... Maybe this person is a person that's viable for a promotion. Um, And we tend to downplay that. Or like you said, it's just an update. Um, And not recognize there's power in always, 
you know, tapping into our thought authenticity when we are presenting ourselves formally or informally. Are we not? Absolutely. Or the and there are, are um, if I could go back and do my life over, I think I would have, I, I would have gotten a degree in psychology at some point because I find it fascinating. Most people want to be authentic. They want to be seen and heard. And I mean, really seen and heard. You, you see me. However, in a, a professional setting, for example, most people emulate someone else in the company they admire or the person they're in competition with. Oh, they know what they're doing. I don't. I need to do what the, more of what they're doing because they might get that job. I want that job. Or you just might like what it is that they're doing, but it's not real for you. For example, in public speaking, so often it's a quiet natured person. It's an introvert. They're not naturally extroverted like I am. I am an extrovert, but they're introverted. And let's say their voice is quiet and they think based on those two things, they cannot speak in public. I'm sure I'm fascinated by that because one, there's this thing called a microphone. You can't be heard. <laughs> Ask for a microphone. And we're going to work on some techniques to help your voice project. These are things we can work on. Well, I'm an introvert. I'm not naturally funny. Like all openings for a presentation have to be funny. Yeah, you're supposed to start with a joke. Well, yeah, you can. Or you could just do an attention grabber. So what I really try to do along the way is put people in touch with natural, excellent qualities. Everyone hates their voice. I hate my voice. You probably don't like yours that much either because what we hear in our head is not what other people hear, but we hate mm -hmm. it. So they come in, I hate my voice. That's funny because you can't even hear it. We can't hear how we're, you know, you'd almost have to record yourself to listen to it. To hear the voice. And so we go in with these certain prejudices against ourselves. Well, I'm not the smartest person in the room. I don't know why they asked me to speak. I hate to tell you, but that guy's not the smartest guy in the room either. But guess what? They asked him to do it. Hmm. Back when I was an actress, I'm not Meryl Streep, but when I was asked to do it, well, they saw something in me that they wanted. And that had to be good enough. And so we lose out. I think I say this in the book. We lose out on very good, doing a very good job because we're trying to be perfect. We're trying to be something that we're not or impossible to start with. There is no perfect. And so when we do that, we're losing out and we're missing the opportunity to be really, really good. So a lot of times, again, with clients, I shoot for very good. Now we're going to get to excellent because I want you to be excellent. Let's shoot for very good right now. And that gets them to excellent <laughs> because they're it's not the trying to be excellent. They're trying to be very good. Yeah. Well, let's, yeah. Let's lower the bar a little bit so they can actually think they can do it. Excellent yes. seems so, so high. And part of my job really is telling people what is good about themselves because they can't do it themselves. 
I love the way you do that. It's great for this, what you're trying to do. It's great. And often that's why there's a whole chapter in the book called um, cleaning, uh, shoot, self-cleaning. I forgot what it is. I compare it to a self-cleaning oven, uh, spring cleaning. Um, we have to clean out messages from, from past family members. You know, I had a client, um, an executive, and he never spoke up in meetings and he allowed people to interrupt him all the time. When we got down to it, he was raised in a very small town um, religious household where interrupting was not tolerated. It was basically a sin. So if someone, and you know how a meeting can be, people are talking all over each other and interjecting. He didn't know how to do that. And so he allowed himself, everyone spoke up over him. And we had to learn how to do, how to, how to interject. Now, isn't that an interesting thing to try to learn but I had to get down to why he did what he did versus what he was doing. And, then, and I think you're right. I think we could earn psychology degrees because it'd be very helpful to understand why that person's doing that. So you can help them overcome it. Because exactly. It's a, it's, a, it's a root problem thing. Uh, yeah. It goes deeper than what we what we see on the surface. Mm-hmm. Mm. It, to to your point, when you were talking about, um, you know, for example, if people are public speaking and they might think they're an introvert, they have all these limiting beliefs around what a public speaker is. Mm-hmm. Um, but you say in your book, you said when you focus on what you think you lack, you will never realize all that you are. And I think that, you know, that that's the whole point of we don't do it like somebody else. The fact that we are introvert or and that maybe we're more quiet, that might be your power. I think about like the story like of Joel Olstein, who is the pastor in the South, yes. that's really, really popular. And his father had the church and he was very outgoing. Then he died and he wa- and uh, his son took it over. And um, he knew that he wasn't, he was very meek and mild behind the camera, but look what he has done now. But he just does it his way. Mm-hmm. And it's very formulaic when he gives his sermon. And yes. so on. But it's the stepping into the power of who you are versus trying to be like somebody else, like his father. Or Oprah has said that too. You know, she when she first started out, she wanted to be Barbara Walters. Uh, <laughs> but you had to develop her own style. We all have to start develop our own style. And it is truly our own based on how we show up, how we're most comfortable. So I think there is so much power in just being you. There, But you know, it's funny. We're, we're taught in high school to conform, fit in. You oh, want to yes. be in oh, that. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, very few people, uh, especially when they're younger, know how to have that confidence to do it or they're overly confident and they don't know what they don't know. And I find that more prevalent now in the last probably five to six years than it was before. And it's evolved because of helicopter parents and everything is made easy. And I am often asked to help a team leader deal with young people who cannot take any criticism. Well, why isn't mm-hmm. it good enough? It should. I I did my best. And then you have to really break it down as to why it's not the best. 
it's it you may have done the best you could at that time, but I'm going to teach you something new. And then we're going to bring that into uh, the project. Um, it's it's a real thing right now. Um, borderline of well, why? You know, I, w- I was coaching this young intern and she did not understand why the literally global head <laughs> of a large industry was not listening to her. <laughs> and that's a real challenge right there that be more mindful of how often you speak up or when you speak up. Try asking questions rather than making statements. And all of that was foreign. She really believed that anybody should be listening to her opinion. And hey, I'm not saying her opinion wasn't valid. But that's not necessarily real life. It, it, it's, it's, I, it baffles me, I have to say. I see it and I'm, because it's so not what how I was raised. I mean, of course, I'm so mm-hmm. much older, but I was raised in the South and you better shut up. <laughs> children are seen and not heard and you can just mind your beeswax young lady so (laughs) I was raised in such a different environment (laughs) but are you so are you seeing a shift in the past five or six years because you're working more with young people and you actually see um how the young people are showing up I I don't know if that's a general statement or that shift yeah that, that that there needs to be something that needs to be addressed that something has changed I think a lot of it is social media. That's why I have such a strong opinion about it because you say a blanket statement on social media and 200 people can't wait to tell you how right you are. <laughs> um, you know, I, I wasn't. So a raised, lot of validation you feel like, uh, yes, there is extreme there's a, a lot validation. of validation. And of course, then people can't take the criticism because, and I hate to say not that they're good enough, but they think they're so good or they don't realize there might actually be room for growth. <laughs> exactly. That there's nothing to learn. I've got it. Right. And, and again, I think it goes back down to motivation. So my parents were older, much older. My dad was 40 when I was born. So when I was born, my parents were well along in their life and they were there to make sure they raised daughters who were self-reliant, responsible, good citizens. Um, They could get along in the business world. My father took me to play golf in sixth grade. I learned how to play golf. And he said, you will use this the rest of your life. And he's right. What you learn in golf, it is a game of honor. And just being with other people on a golf course and someone flubs up their shot, what's the appropriate way to respond and act? And anyway, that's how my parents raised me. They didn't raise me to be happy all the time. If I was disappointed, I didn't win the election at school. My mom simply said, that's the way that goes sometimes. You're not always going to win. Now, she might then fix me my favorite food that night. But you know what I mean? It wasn't, what's wrong with those people? Why did they not? Of course, you're the best person. You know, I just wasn't raised with those kinds of messages of being happy all the time, that everything you say is important. Vacations being taken solely for where the children want to go. 
My father worked very hard for his vacation. We took a vacation my father wanted to take, and we had activities at the same time. It's just Mm -hmm. a difference. And so, yes, I'm seeing this generation in many ways. I love that they are so focused on being happy, content in their lives, because we were so focused on being responsible. But at the same time, there is a um, a way of con- of conducting themselves that I think is not always productive in a work environment. And now having we work in hybrid environments, you get to work by yourself, you get to work at home, you get to call the shots. It's then harder to come into a group situation where you have to compromise and allow for other people to also have their say. It's very complex. Well, it's, it's- it's very complex. Again, that psychology degree is super yes, helpful. Yes. But I, I love your statement that I, I wasn't raised to be happy all the time. And I think in this day and age, there's a lot of trying to keep people happy, yeah. trying to keep children happy. <clears throat> you you know, you hear it. I know it. I see it. Um, and, and you you need that level of resilience. And you could see how, or an adversity, you could see how then this, if you are raised to be quote unquote happy all the time, or that nothing bad should happen to you, or we should smooth this over, you can then see how that would translate into a corporate environment where the person must think like your your job is to then make me happy. The world's job is to make me happy. And you'll soon find out that is not the case. It's not. And I, I often tell people, Acting with your authenticity, making the brave choice may not always make you happy in the moment. However, you can have inner peace. I did the right thing. I did what was right for me. And moving forward, you might really learn something that makes you a happier person in the long run. And so it's not immediate gratification on, you know, to coin a phrase, it's long-term happiness where it's contentment that we're going for, not happy. Happy is not an emotion that can even be maintained for a long period of time, but I can be, it's, let me tell you, the weather is blah today. It's been blah And I can have that kind of day. I have to go have a tough conversation with my mobile phone company today. And yet I'm at peace with it. I'm okay. It's a part of the day. I'd rather be going to the movies. (laughs) But I'm going to go to the mobile phone company and have a hard conversation. (laughs) Mm, So I think that's part of identifying what it is you're really going for. Are you going for immediate happiness? Well, then social media away. Go go for it. And I do think, uh, just to be clear, I have a Facebook page. I go on Instagram. I, I do my things. I just don't look at it as making me happy or being the right. be all and end all to everything. It's just a thing that's on my plate. It's not the main course. True. I'm curious, uh, when you have coached or helped people make those hard decisions or move out of their comfort zone, become more authentic. Mm -hmm. Can you think of what begins to happen within those people when they make that shift, when they realize the world's not there to serve them, that they can actually make themselves happy and content and joyful when they make that shift? What, what have you seen in people? 
Well, probably the number one thing that I see is we're working in a professional environment. They take it into their personal lives. They start questioning the status quo of the way they live their lives. And it could mean anything from someone, um, a young graphic artist, client, uh, briefly, she was just miserable all the time. And yet she had gotten exactly where she wanted to be. She had her own graphic design company. She could set her own hours. She worked at home. She worked alone. Okay. This was the most obvious extroverted person I'd ever met. She loved people. She loved talking. She loved interacting. She needed to be part of a team. She was trying so hard to own her own business and be a one woman show. She didn't know how to be part of a team, which ultimately I thought would make her happier. And so as she looked at that, she started looking at her dating life and the way, you know, she never called her friends to do anything. She would text. I'm like, Hmm. meet them for lunch. Go, you know, go have a dinner. She only ordered her Starbucks on her phone and went in and picked it up. While she's picking it up, she's on her phone. You know, she finds her cup of coffee on the counter, walks out. She missed every opportunity to have an interaction. Hmm. And so I think the number one thing that I I see happen is the growth in their personal life, but their development of confidence because we always do a debrief and pay attention to what works. Did that work? Yes. Pay more attention to it. Put more attention there. It worked. Because most everyone wants to fix something they don't like. They want to get rid of it. But I do that by building on the strength. So I see people stepping into themselves in a more powerful, confident manner because they are acknowledging what works rather than focus on what they don't like. Hmm. Well, this has been an interesting conversation. Is there anything that you wanted to say that I haven't asked you about around authenticity or opening your presence? Oh, connect my more goodness. With the world? <laughs> you have done such a great job. I am not kidding. I appreciate your questions and picking up on things that you brought back into the conversation. Um, You know, if I had a final word, I made the biggest changes in my life when I was forced to, you know, divorce being top of the list. You know, I had to work my fingers to the bone until my hair was falling out. My skin was broken out. I was having physical ailments, but I was going to make that marriage work. <laughs> mm. And I was forced with the to, you know, to look in the mirror and just say, walk away. Mm. You need to stop because my best quality is making lemonade out of lemons. Something doesn't go right. I very rarely get down about it. I look at how to fix it. That's a great quality to have. But when you take it to the extreme, it doesn't work. It's going to, you know, it's probably going to hurt you. And so I try to encourage people, don't wait until you hit the brick wall. 
your hair is falling out. You've gained 50 pounds. Don't wait for that. Pay attention to the taps on the shoulder. And I don't know how other people feel spiritually, but there is a higher power I pray to. And I often say, please tap me on the shoulder. Don't knock me into a brick wall to get my attention. Let me pay attention. And I think when people do that themselves, they can begin to see it. And then if you have trouble figuring out for yourself, you've bought the books, you know, you've tried it, take a class, hire a coach. Don't be afraid to get outside guidance to help you along the way. But in the end, I say that I give everybody 150% of myself, but in the end, they have to do the heavy lifting. So don't wait till you hit a brick wall. Do the work, put it in because the benefits, oh my gosh, so outweigh any minor discomfort you might have in the moment. Start small, start with the barista at Starbucks and then move yourself (laughs) up to the CEO. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Thank you, Greta, for this wonderful conversation. I really appreciate your time and I definitely appreciate your insight. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it, Dana. I had a great time. This was wonderful. And I wish you all the best uh, with your Mm -hmm. Soul Sister conversations and your business. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. That was such a great conversation. If you loved it too, subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode. Please go to iTunes to rate and review this podcast. And if you want to continue the conversation, connect with Soul Sister Conversations on the Facebook and Instagram pages. You can also find me on Instagram and Facebook at Dana Lloyd Leadership, on Twitter at Coach Dana underscore Lloyd, and of course on LinkedIn. See you next week.